Welcome to the next best podcast with your hosts, Chris Cashman. He's been described as tough, handsome, talented, sensitive, dynamic. And Chris Daniels. He's been compared to Nicholson, De Niro, and Brando. Now, from the CNC Podcast Factory, here's the next best podcast. Here we go again, Chris, our last show of March. A very rainy March. I'm wondering if we're ever going to see the sun. It was like an episode of Deadliest Catch for the entire month. Uh, <laughs> today on the show, busy show, we've got a presidential intro to the show. We're going to talk about the Olympics in prime time. Actually, it's going to be all the time. All the time will all be prime. prime time, right? We're talking about Vegas. How come they get everything? Like a football team and a new arena. Am I just... Sounding like no, a whiner. Vegas gets everything. They nowadays. do get everything. Then we're going to circle back home, of course, the latest on the Seattle Sodo Arena, Key Arena, Witch Arena, Any Arena, Pick an Arena. As the basketball turns, I like to call it. Is this real life? And chicken feed for the soul, Chris. We love to end <laughs> the show with food, and this one's got a, well, it's TV-based. We'll get to that and much more. Let's kick off the stories that we're celebrating this week. It's time. For the high five. Chris, we don't want to start the show by being too political, but we will start with politics. Yes, it's been a big week for President Trump once again with legal actions. And, and here in the city of Seattle, it was big once again. As everybody knows, the state has taken on the president in a federal court regarding plans that the president has had for immigration, border security. And now the city of Seattle is taking on the president, the Attorney General Jeff Sessions, as well as the Homeland Security Chief on the issue of immigration and sanctuary cities. We're not gonna talk here about all of the legal filings and wranglings and right. constitutional amendments and what exactly they're fighting on. Because it's but probably already changed by the time we <laughs> put this out to the world. Yeah, you know? yeah but it's uh, it's definitely been a, a controversial topic in, in the city of Seattle, it's probably going to be an issue that plays out over several weeks about immigration status, sanctuary cities, and millions of dollars the city of Seattle believes it could lose right. if the Trump administration tries to enforce uh, the sanctuary city status, the executive order, and threatens like they have to pull funding from the city of Seattle. Absolutely, the trickle-down effect is gonna be a very interesting that unfolds uh, this on the heels of what do you call it the latest presidential gaffe uh, you know there's a lot of uh, oopsie moments that have uh, unfolded over the past couple of months and one of the latest perhaps you missed because uh, there's just so much there's just so much about. going on where, where do you even uh, you know everybody's got a different source for how they keep up with certainly with their political news some folks uh, Podcasts. I know NPR does a great political podcast where you can uh, consume what you need to know in a short and often humorous form because sometimes these things are just easier to digest with a smile and a bit of a giggle. Yeah. Um, the latest uh, audio that you and I have uh, enjoyed just because of the complete <laughs> irony, of course, is the president talking about how how much pressure it is to be the president and that for him, he's always on, man. You always got to have the answers for everything. But fortunately, as we know, Trump prides himself, President Trump prides himself in being a guy who's always got the right answer, even if it's not the correct answer at the time. 
Perhaps you missed this audio from C-SPAN. It's always live for me. You know, unfortunately, other guys say, make a speech, nobody cares. With me, everything's live. One mistake, and it's no good. But we just can't make mistakes, right? So we don't make mistakes. Go ahead, Ken. Um, Chuck Canterbury, the national president of Fraternal Order. Well, so hopefully you uh, caught the accidental boo-boo there. He introduced Ken. The guy's name is Chuck. You know, it, it's fascinating just how uh, acceptable this kind of thing is. And this is apolitical to say this. I mean, you look back at Dan Quayle, who was just prosecuted yeah. by the public over mispronouncing, misspelling a name. Uh, and you think how, uh, you know, Gerald Ford was mocked because he, he fell once walking out yeah. of a plane and how that's one of the lasting legacies of his administration never could gain traction after he made the fumble and sure. and these things uh you know half of america just goes ah you know it happens and a big part of it of course is social media the fact that you and i can say hey did you hear about this i can look it up and here it is boom it's immediately available everybody's got it everybody's got a spin on it you know uh, news this week you know as they talked to putin and said hey did you guys were you guys talking and i found it also ironic that his response was essentially, quote, read my lips. No. I thought, oh yeah, because if there's one thing that America knows to respect is that phrase. Read my lips. Uh, certainly when it comes to presidential. So again, this audio coming out in uh, C-SPAN, the New York Post actually is the source for where I got this audio. And I think even used to use at the end of the soundbite is telling. It's always live for me. You know, unfortunately, other guys say, make a speech, nobody cares. With me, everything's live. One mistake, and it's no good. But we just can't make mistakes, right? So we don't make mistakes. Go ahead, Ken. Um, Chuck Canterbury, the national president of Fraternal Order Police. Here comes that music. <laughs> this is, of course, where they're putting up graphics explaining what happened. The guy's name is actually not Ken. And, you know, to President Trump's credit, it would be a relatively easy mistake. I can only imagine how many new names and people he's meeting every day. But of course, it doesn't help when it's on the heels of a soundbite about how he simply won't make mistakes. Timing is everything. <laughs> <laughs> This was the closest royalty-free music I could find to something that resembles the <laughs> Olympic theme, Chris. You mean that competition that happens every couple of years that has rings involved? Yes. It's a big thing for King 5. We can say, full disclosure, we both work for NBC. Yes. For King 5 here in Seattle, but that's not why we're excited about the news that the 2018 Olympics will air live in all time zones. That's a big deal, especially with prime time. Uh, we don't live in a vacuum. I mean. It, one of the biggest complaints that anybody has during any sort of Olympic Games is that it seems like everything's on tape delay. They've, right. they've, they've watched CBC, they're done with NBC. When's Michael Phelps racing? Yeah, tomorrow. They, or, they've it, already known yeah. about the, the results eight hours earlier because right. NBC has shown over time that when you produce it and it's highly produced and the storytelling that's involved with, with some of these athletes, uh, that the demographics uh, break out a certain way and viewership uh, has maintained over time. Right. Uh, what has changed, however, is social media. Uh, yep. and, and although people love primetime programming, 
people are also angry about having to watch CBC or knowing what's happened before they see it. Right. The, the ratings have reflected that in the last couple of Olympic Games, and so that's what's driven this particular change. And they have acknowledged that it is really social media. The fact that you can get results at your fingertips is the reason why they're going to change it. But it's big news. The primetime coverage of the 2018 Winter Olympics there in Pyeongchang, South Korea, they're going to air live across the U.S., including the West Coast, you know, since the first time they became a big TV thing in the 60s. So this yeah. is a big deal. It and, is a big switch. And one of the reasons why NBC is, is making this change is there's a 17-hour time difference between Korea and right. Seattle. Uh, and and even on the East Coast, uh, you know, 14-hour time difference. And the next three Olympics are in the Far East. So right. this is going to be an issue that, that NBC is going to have to deal with, uh, with Tokyo and Beijing, is, is how do you how do you schedule things? So they had already planned uh, with like figure skating, one of the big finals, right. to have it at 10 in the morning in Korea so it could be live in prime time on the East Coast. What this means now is you're gonna be able to see it live at like five o'clock in the afternoon right. uh, here in Seattle. It also means it's it's a whole new world for us at King Five because you're going to have essentially a six-hour block between five and eleven o'clock that's going to be filled up by Olympic programming. You're going right. to have Olympic programming in the morning. It's it, you know we're still trying to wrap our heads around how this yeah, is all going to work right. uh, at the local affiliate level. Uh, but it's it, the the bottom line is it's great for fans of the Olympic Games. Even as a casual fan of the Olympic Games, I love it because especially when it comes to sports, I want to see it in real time. I want to know it's happening right now, as it's happening, when those people are celebrating. I want to feel that spontaneity of, oh, wow, did you see that? He just set a world record. I just witnessed it as it happened. And, you know, obviously this all comes down to ratings, you know, in the television world. How many people can you get to watch? And they've done the research and said, you know what, this is, this is just the way the audience is going. They've mentioned that the uh, NBC's coverage of the summer games in Rio averaged about 25.4 million viewers over 17 nights last summer. And that seems like a massive audience, but it's actually down almost 20% from the 2012 games in London. So bottom line is the numbers are, are declining and it's easy for them to track that to the fact that people are just jumping ship for the internet. Um, you know, they, they mentioned that some of the loss was attributed to growth in the viewership online. Streaming live video of the, uh, of the Olympic action and NBC's app reached 2.7 billion minutes and that's nearly double the amount for the previous games. Put that in some context though, because I thought that sounds impressive, but I know that I heard earlier about a month ago that YouTube of all came out and said, you know what, we're getting a billion hours a day. So these are changing times for sure. You know, and just to give further context in terms of, well, everybody's watching stuff online, aren't they? Yeah. Well, again, YouTube's got a billion a day. Uh, Netflix has got about 116 million hours watched a day Facebook 100 million so again those sound like big but now we've already jumped into the billions so it's it's logical that that NBC would do this and in I know you and I were talking uh, about a week ago or two when Saturday Night Live announced hey we're gonna start airing live on the West Coast they didn't necessarily say we're gonna do this from now on forever but I think that's probably safe to assume because well, and, and we're there, not gonna wait anymore and there is a trend because uh, when you consider I, I, I want to say it's uh, 20 or, or so percent of the country is in the Western time zone. Uh, that the award shows that a lot of people like to watch, right. and a lot of people are social about, meaning the Oscars, the Golden Globes, those those air live on the West Coast. The Grammys, 
Uh, from what I understand, uh, the, they're going to offer, CBS is going to offer their local affiliates to carry that live, again, because of the social element. So you and I, like, we watch those award shows. Sure. We, we, we sit there and tweet about it, Facebook about it. Your friends tweet and Facebook about it. It becomes a social event that people yeah. then end up watching the show or are drawn to the show because of that. So it's kind of in this circle of life, so to speak, yeah. with media that you almost have to be live now. Right. And when the NBC has invested that much money in it and they can see the viewer erosion, it makes perfect sense to move it up the dial um, and, and air it live uh, so that people can sit there and comment about it and draw other people mm -hmm. into the broadcast. Essentially, that's what NBC is looking for here. Well, speaking of live all the time, the city that never sleeps, the other one that never sleeps, Sin City, Las Vegas, is getting a football team. The Oakland Raiders are officially moving to Las Vegas. This has caused a, a bit of a wave <laughs> of fans in Vegas, I'm sure, excited, but outside of Vegas, not so much. I think it's got a lot of people scratching their heads, and certainly, in a bizarre way, it feels awfully personal here in Seattle, doesn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, since the street vacation vote last year, Vegas has gained two teams. Huh. The NFL and... So while we're fighting over Occidental, Las Vegas has gotten a football team and a hockey team. Yes. They're prepared to put professional hockey in one of the most remote cities <laughs> in the middle of the desert before they're coming to Seattle because we're too busy fighting with ourselves. Yeah, and uh, there's a lot of money, a lot of uh, private money uh, that has been invested and in, in Las Vegas's case, a lot of public money, which is why the Raiders are moving. And yes, Chris, at, at a certain point in time, they will have as many franchises in the major four professional leagues as the city of Seattle when the Raiders eventually move there. But uh, the NFL is, is taking some criticism even from longtime uh, beat writers about moving the Raiders, allowing the Raiders to move to Las Vegas from one of the largest markets, yeah. uh, top five markets in the country from the Bay Area. Uh, and, and this is the third now move in about a year by the NFL. Uh, it's really a restless time. It looks like you're not going to have any franchise movement for a while, but why this is so controversial and why the NFL, also the owners, agreed to it is there's close to a billion dollars yeah. in public financing. $750 million out of the gate uh, from the state of Nevada and then another $200 million over 30 years for road maintenance. That is free money as far as the NFL is concerned. The, the, the state of Nevada, Las Vegas, has set a new bar yeah. for any other uh, NFL owner on what they're going to demand in the future. And that's why they just did not turn this uh, deal down, even though the city of Oakland was saying, hey, we've got a deal. That you can, I mean, we'll help you renovate the Coliseum. Yeah. We'll help you build another stadium. They had financing lined up, uh, but this was just too good for the NFL, from the NFL owner's perspective, to turn down. It's the same reason when you talk about Sacramento versus Seattle, with the amount of public money that the city of Sacramento was willing to, to, to spend to keep the Kings there. It's why the NBA didn't turn down that deal to keep the right. Kings in Sacramento. So with Las Vegas, what's interesting, if you're the NHL owner, you're not very happy right now. Right. You thought... We have an expansion team. We are the first team in the city of Las Vegas. Now it's going to be awesome. We're going to just corner the market. And now you've got to deal with. You're not even the second NFL. fiddle. 
Yeah. You know, because now you're probably taking a backseat to everything else that's offered in Vegas. Yeah. You know, you're, you're getting lined behind Copperfield and Brittany. Now she's next. And Celine's got a thing. Cirque du Soleil. And then hockey. You guys sit there. I I, I think the, there still is a question about the NHL and whether it works down there. Right. I, they had to do so much to try and prove to the National Hockey League they could support season tickets because that is not a league where people fly into town to see a game necessarily. Right. With the NFL, there's a, it's a completely different argument because the games are on a Sunday or on a Monday, right. primarily. You're waiting and all week. You you, you fly in from, say, Philadelphia yeah. uh, for a weekend in Vegas because you know you have the game on the Sunday and then you fly home. You, you don't necessarily have to have the season ticket base because so many people will be flying into Vegas for a weekend and want to go to an NFL game in a 60,000 seat dome. NHL, a little bit different with two or three games a week. Right. Uh, and just the corporate sponsorship, and it's a completely different animal. And for that NHL team, they're also going to be competing with the NFL at the same time of year. It's not like right. having a baseball team or an MLS team in Las Vegas. So uh, they, they're saying all the right things as far as the National Hockey League is concerned. What's interesting is, you know, the, the same reason that the NHL wanted to be in Vegas is the same reason the NHL wants to be in Seattle before the NBA comes. They want to get that first crack at the corporate uh, deals, the right. corporate sponsorship, the sweet sales, the fan base, the ticket sales, all that kind of stuff. That's why they went to Vegas is because it was untapped territory, sure. so to speak. Um, and and originally it was really uh, everything I've heard over the last few years is supposed to be Las Vegas and Seattle going into the NHL at the same time. And I think even folks in Seattle who have had our heart broken felt like, well, great. If it's between us and Vegas then let's sit back and watch it unfold because we're clearly the better choice. It's going to make so much more sense on so many levels to come to town to Seattle. But here we are, as you mentioned, while we've been fist fighting over dead ends and on ramps and double dead ends and, well, Vegas snuck up and they got a football team and a hockey team. And a privately financed arena and that team uh, will start playing uh, near the end of this year. Uh, it's going to be a fascinating exercise to see if that team is successful. And they also, because there is a team going in there, there's still a hole for a team in, in the West, uh, most likely to fill the gap, so to speak, to even out the franchises in the National Hockey League. Well, and finances aside, this is going to be fascinating to watch it unfold. So many other layers to consider here that I guess it's too late to consider now. You know, the fact of the matter is, is, you know, a football team going into Vegas. I can't even imagine how many stories we're going to wake up to and read about what has happened. Because I'm sorry, but the these guys are going to want to go out. They're going to want to see the town. They're likely going to be putting them up in hotels on the Vegas Strip. Because the football stadium is near the Strip. Right. Or will be. So think of what's going to happen as these guys are out they're not going to be able to help themselves they're going to want to go out they're going to want to socialize or at least going to want to have a steak dinner and things happen in las vegas <laughs> and i just worry about what's going to happen the temptation alone is going to just be it's going to be trouble it's going to cause for trouble for sure there's and, just no way it's going to be a graceful transition and gambling and referees the fact and- that you can probably gamble on a raiders game a hundred yards from where they're playing it is a strange, strange thing. Yeah, no, it it, it definitely is. Uh, there, there are questions about gambling. I mean, it was uh, Las Vegas was a pariah in terms of pro sports leagues. Fifteen years ago, the NBA went there for an All Star game. Yeah, uh, and depending on who you talk to, there were problems that weekend. 
Uh, and so the, the thought was that professional sports leagues will never want to go to Vegas because of all those gambling issues, because teams would have to be taken off the sports books. And I tell you what, almost a billion dollars made the NFL say, well, you know, we can make this work. One other thing that'll be interesting to watch unfold is the fact that they're not moving now. They're going to be sticking around for a couple of seasons. And I can honestly say that the only thing worse than watching the Sonics leave town would have been if they said they were leaving town, but not for two more seasons. So enjoy it while it lasts, folks. You have to wonder, are, are Raiders fans going to show up in Oakland? Or do you think, forget it, this isn't my team anymore. I can't, I'm not going to, I can't watch them. This is just prolonging the agony. Or will they get evicted? I mean, I just saw a, a story this week with Oakland uh, lawmakers who are saying, hey, uh, we, we may just want to evict them early, even though they have a couple of one-year leases because the city loses more money with Oakland and the Raiders. Right. Why do you want to there? build up a product that will not be your? I mean, this is the uh, pro sports version of the breakup where your stuff's in the yard, you know? <laughs> Get out. Get out. We're through. So we go from getting out to please come back. Uh, we continue to monitor the uh, Sonics arena, which is a situation that just seems like one of the old roller coasters at the Fun Forest at Seattle Center. Chris, it just goes up and down. That's all it does is it, up and down. It's going to make a great book someday uh, with all the twists and turns uh, in, in this. And, and there were more twists and turns. And it really does kind of read like uh, a novel or some sort of work of fiction just with the layers upon layers to all of this. Uh, and there were more this past week. I mean, we've even talked about doing the entire podcast about this subject because there's so much to talk about. Uh, but you have... We have not tried to shoehorn this into our podcast. No. It's simply the fact that obviously you have covered uh, the Sonics departure and the effort to get them back for a you know, decade. Yeah. Uh, but it has become increasingly relevant over the past year because of the, the Chris Hansen coming in, his group, then adding Russell Wilson and folks like me going, that's it. That's the ace we needed. Yeah. Russell is the goodwill ambassador now. We've got the money. He's got the property. It, we're going to work out this street vacation thing that's going to work itself out. It just, it has to. It just makes too much sense. Then all of a sudden, wait a minute. No, now these guys want a key arena. They think that's viable. They want to do that. Then all of a sudden there could be a conflict of interest, which you, you know, yeah. talked about. You know, it, it's fascinating because uh, as you and I have talked about before, there's so many layers to it. And, and really the city will be making a decision which affects the landscape, literally, figuratively, whatever you want to say for 30 years two different parts of town, different government entities, the Port of Seattle, uh, land use, Seattle Center. I mean, th there are so many different uh, layers to it. But yeah, in, in the last week, uh, we reported, we were first to report about the conflict of interest with the Port of Seattle Commission President, Tom Albro, who owns the Seattle Monorail Services, which has the contract with the city to run the monorail and pre would presumably stand to make a lot of money if there is a full-time venue there for NBA and NHL. He's had to recuse himself. Of course, he was also one of the biggest critics of the Soto Arena down in, mm. uh, yeah, in Seattle as well. So the biggest critic also could be the uh, biggest winner in any sort of key arena remodel. Then the city had its first of multiple meetings on this whole issue. And uh, surprise uh, to all the city council members there, that the Seattle Center, one government agency, is filing for landmark status for seven of the buildings in the potential renovation zone. So to back up, one city office is filing with another city office 
for landmark status on seven buildings that another city office has already put out a request for proposals on renovation. Clearly three different offices within the city, not necessarily on the same page, uh, but that is a wrinkle in the whole Key Arena story that I don't think the council members even knew about, that, that you're, you're asking for, for people to tell us how they're gonna spend money and renovate all these right. buildings that could have landmark status and that could make it more difficult to build in that area. Uh, it doesn't mean they can't be torn down. Doesn't It's not a deal killer in any stretch of the imagination, but it just shows just all the competing interests in this city when it comes to a project like this, which again is what makes it so fascinating. Speaking of a soap opera. Yes, this was the one that was not supposed to be. Reality TV, and I'm not talking about YouTube vloggers, you know, the old reality TV, you know, the, from like the late 90s, mid 90s. Uh, they're still kicking around. You know, some of these shows, Survivor's back. It's doing great. This one not doing so well. In fact, it's not even on the air, but they forgot to tell the contestants about it. This one was making the rounds this week. Uh, the British reality show, Eden. Eden. Eden, of course. The contestants of that show. Uh, you know, familiar premise. We're going to maroon these people out in the wilderness. Will they survive? Um, they were sent out. This was going to be for a year, a social experiment. We put you guys out, remote location. You guys are going to have to come up with your own laws, your own food, your own village. Come up with the whole thing, and let's watch it unfold. Sounds like a good idea. It was a good idea. It would be fun, but you got to commit to it, right? If you're going to say, hey, this is going to unfold for a year, you kind of got to go all in as the producers of the show, the Channel 4 program. Uh, they put together 23 men and women, put them out there in a remote corner of the Scottish Highlands, and they basically said, yeah, create a community. Let's let's watch how this, this happens. Watch how this unfolds. There's movies about this sort of thing. They had no contact with the outside world. No phones, no internet, anything on that. So you come up with your own. It's, it is fascinating. It's, it's fun. like Castaway. Absolutely. With a bunch of people. The only problem was is four episodes of the show from March, April, and May, but the ratings took a dive. They started at about 1.7 million viewers, went down to about half of that, about 800,000, and Channel 4 says, you know what, too expensive, nah, pull it, let's pull it. So they did, only they forgot to tell the contestants of the show and the four-person camera crew and they remained out there in the <laughs> Scottish Highlands trying to survive, not realizing that their show had already been canceled. I mean, it's so good that you'd think this is fake, but this is real. Nobody bothered to tell them. Uh, here from this Variety article says that the contestants reportedly endured the boredom and the infighting and they reduced at one point to eating chicken feed. We always like to end the podcast mm, with the story chicken about feed. chicken feed for the soul. Uh, so things got a bit ugly out there. It says that they were fighting over everything from uh, relationships and things like mm. that. Jealousy. So about half of them had already quit the show. They just tapped out and walked out. It says, I quit. I can't do it. The remaining stayed out there until they just finally came walking out. It's going, hey, we don't have any food. Like, <laughs> this is not working for us anymore. And uh, that's when they were told, oh, yikes. You guys were still out there? I, I this whole the, time you guys were out there? Our bad. You know I what? hope the checks were good. We are so sorry. We are so sorry. It says 13 of the 23 contestants quit during the show uh, as sexual jealousy, infighting, and hunger took their toll. Uh, 10 of them stayed out there, have just come back, and nobody's really spoken out just yet. 
it leads to so many things. Number one, how could this happen, of course, but think about the timeline here because they were out there during some rather interesting things, <laughs> uh, not just, you know, not, of course, America aside, just in the world. They came in, came back, and basically they had to say, hey, we forgot to tell you guys, uh, Brexit's happening. What's Brexit? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, we're leaving Europe, the Union. Um, and then, oh, meanwhile, in America, you guys know Donald Trump. You know, people have to explain yeah. all of this. As I said on Twitter the other day, we're going to have to explain to these poor people that clowns are creepy now. That That's happened while they've been out <laughs> stranded in the woods. As always, if you guys have seen a story, you came across something that's just too good. You're like, I've got to share this. Tweet to us. Hit us up online, David. On Twitter and Instagram at Next Best Pod. Thanks for listening. You can rate and review on iTunes. That lets the world know that we exist, unlike those contestants in the Scottish Highlands. We want people to know that we're here. Give it an honest review as long as it's a glowing one, and we'll leave it up there. <laughs> this is the exclusive ending of the Next Best Podcast.